Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's Sermon Podcast. As we approach God's Word, let's take a prayerful breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Listen to God's Word this day. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Almighty God, give us ears to hear your story in these words of Scripture. Give us eyes to see your story in the faces of those that surround us and give us faith enough that by your grace, we might serve you until the end of our days. Amen. We turn to God's word this morning. Our first scripture is from the book of Isaiah, reading from the 58th chapter, verses three through seven. Let us listen to God's word. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush? and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Paulin, boy pa in in hulo asia chun ziang a so roll kan urero. Ziang man e a shello asia chun ziang a so roll low in katur du rero tia and shoot. Boy pa in anhena a hunting katia chun. Roll ut naksu nan mai du mi hol nagle nan tuan tu pol shem naka nan pangate. Mithinai swatter nan tilo, mithinai swatter nan tilo, nan swal oki nan tau ok. Hibang tukin rol ulna ruanga nan chacham kangai ding mosi tia ati. Rol nan ultika zon zai nan pekok, trampikung bangin nan lucu nan kun, nan ikna ka buri puan vutcham pa nan pa. Cumi mo rol ul kan ul nan ti, cumi pol para kalung aoi ding tia nan ruat mo. Kay mai kadu mi rol ulna ruanga hibang tuk asi, thir chik chin bantuk. Nan mirem nak le konveki nan deltu aman lomi nan tua nak polhi fonte ula nan semi polhi luat terlangu nan tiro roll roll mi pol mi pol tom ula nan intaju inai lo frak pol sanga ongu ni pon truk ding nai lo pol hen ni pon pekula nan sungkat bomu dia ati. And from the Gospel of Matthew, reading from the seventh chapter, verses one through five. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you made, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. لا تدينوا لكي لا تدانوا لأنكم بالدينون التي بها تدينون تدانون 
وبالكيل الذي به تكيلون يكال لكم ولماذا تنظر القذى الذي في عين أخيك وأما الخشب التي في عينك فلا فلا تفطن لها أم كيف تقول لأخيك دعني أخرج القذى من عينك وها الخشب في عينك يا مرائي أخرج أولا الخشب من عينك وحينئذ تبصر جيدا أن تخرج القذى من عين أخيك آمين Last week, I began a four-week preaching series on conversations with a skeptic. Each week, we'll look at a different question posed by skeptics. The purpose is not to score points and a sharply pointed counterattack. The point is to face the questions and not dismiss them because they're valid questions. And if we are to have an examined and deeper faith, rather than a glib and shallow faith, then we need not be afraid. Indeed, we are called to wrestle with questions like this. And this week's question is, how can I be a Christian when Christians have done so much harm? Let us pray. Oh Lord, it is your word we need to hear. It is you we seek to know and to follow. And so we pray that by your spirit, <clears throat> your word may be heard through these ordinary human words. In your son's name we pray, amen. I know of a woman who interviewed for a job several years ago. On a Friday, she interviewed with a senior partner in the new firm in the new town where she was planning to live and work. Near the end of the interview, that senior partner invited her to dinner one-on-one -on -one, and suggested that there was a way that she could guarantee her job offer, and she knew what he meant. She declined citing prior plans with a friend, although of course she had none. On that Sunday, she went to a church in the new town, a Presbyterian church. It was a communion Sunday, much like that. Imagine what she felt when one of the elders serving communion passed the tray to her, his wedding band, in clear sight, the senior partner from Friday's interview. How can anyone be a Christian when there is so much hypocrisy in the church? Christopher Hitchens, an outspoken atheist who wrote a book on why religion poisons everything, once appeared on a Christian radio broadcast. The talk show host obviously thought he could trap Hitchens with a question. This was the question. Imagine yourself in a strange city as the evening was coming on, and imagine that there's a large group of men coming towards you, the host said. Would you feel more or less safe if you were to learn that they were coming to you from a prayer meeting, he asked. Hitchens replied, well, just to stay within the letter B, I've actually had that experience in Belfast, Beirut, Bombay, Belgrade, Bethlehem, and Baghdad. In each case, I can say absolutely and can give you my reasons why I should feel immediately threatened if I thought that the group of men approaching me in the dusk were coming from a religious observance. 
And that is only the letter B. The atheist Hitchens might well have added, how can I be a Christian when Christians and the church have done so much harm? He has a point. There's no denying that religious people have done harm, have even afflicted grave cruelty on others in the name of religion. And sadly, Christians have done their share of harm. Consider the Crusades, the Inquisition, slavery, apartheid, the treatment of women through the centuries, the treatment of the LGBTQ population, just to begin the list. And closer to home, there's no denying that gossiping and backbiting, lying, sexual harassment, even sexual abuse have been committed by those who claim to be people of faith. Sadly, the words of Blaise Pascal, written in 1670, can still ring all too true. Men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. Too much wrong and harm have been done by Christians. We cannot ignore it or rationalize it. Instead, we must acknowledge it, repudiate it, repent of it, and be humbled by it. As a wise pastor I know once put it, there's absolutely no place for Christians to feel morally to non-Christians. Christianity is not a club of morally superior people. Instead, Christian churches are populated, have always been populated, like the Hebrew temple before them, with sinners. The prophet Isaiah knew it. The words you heard just a few minutes ago, look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. You serve your own interests. You oppress all your workers. Jesus knew it more than once. He shouted, you liars and thieves and hypocrites. Ever since the beginning of the church, as was true in ancient Israel, there's been a tendency to bend the Christian faith to fit the prevailing culture rather than the opposite. Consider, for example, Martin Luther's anti-Semitic writings often cited by the Nazis, or the South African Dutch church's support of apartheid, or the Russian Orthodox's church endorsement of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. That is why Paul wrote to the church in Rome, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And it's why Jesus told his disciples in the other passage you heard this morning, do not judge so that you may not be judged. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye and miss the log in your own eye? Our Christian faith knows that we are a sinful people, prone to do a harm. To tell you the truth, I am a Christian precisely because the Christian faith acknowledges the reality of who I am, of who we are, and addresses it. That's why we just took time to confess our sins, and we do it every week. As C.S. Lewis once said, to the extent that the church has any advantage over any other body of people, it's not that we're morally superior. 
It's not that we're more loved by God than all of other, all other of God's children. No, our only advantage is when we know it, in knowing that we are all sinners and all live in a broken and sinful world. We need the grace and love we find in Jesus Christ, all of us. Friends, the Christian faith is not about Christians. We are not called to trust or believe in Christians. We are called to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. In the same way, we cannot judge the Christian faith by the actions of those who are not living it. We must judge the Christian faith by the one, the only one who has lived it, Jesus Christ. And he did no harm. He spoke truth to power. He did not give in to the powers that be. He did not give in to the surrounding culture. Instead, he lived as one transformed, as one full of grace and love all the way to the cross. No one has ever fully lived the Christian faith, which prompted the British playwright George Bernard Shaw to say with his customary wit, Christianity might be a good thing if anyone ever tried it. But some have tried it, and in doing so have reflected the light of Christ, however feebly, into a dark and broken world. Hitchens claimed that Christianity, like other religions, has poisoned everything. But ask the women at Foreman Christian College in Lahore, Pakistan, if that is true. In a recent video distributed by the Presbyterian Foundation, one of those women says, the world in the college is totally different from the world outside of this college in our society. Woman after woman talks about how Foreman, founded by a Presbytery missionary all the way back in 1864, is providing opportunities to them that they would not otherwise have. And please note that despite its origins, despite its name today, that college population is overwhelmingly Muslim. We're asked the men and women who've experienced natural disasters if Christianity has poisoned everything. I'll never forget riding on the plane down to Gulfport, Mississippi, shortly after Hurricane Katrina, and the plane was full of church volunteers from every denomination and branch of the church going down to help. On another trip, I'll never forget what a non-church member said to us after one of these storm disasters. I do not know what we would do without the churches. Ask the people who get free, nutritious meals, lovingly prepared and served at daybreak in downtown Allentown, or receive rental assistance and social work counseling through our mission partner, Lehi Conference of Churches, so that they can stay off the streets. Or ask the teenager who said, church, for all of its faults, was the only place outside of my own home where people didn't gawk or make fun of me. Or the couple who were able to put their marriage back together after the husband's affair. He was overwhelmed that she didn't give up on him. She said, the desire to find the grace to forgive, that can't be coming from me, she says. That has to be coming from the Holy Spirit. 
To be sure, there is hypocrisy in the church and a lot of other sins. We will and do fall short. Philip Yancey has written, in an odd way, the very failures of the church prove its doctrine. Grace, like water, flows to the lowest part. We in the church have humility and contrition to offer the world, not a formula for success. Almost alone, he writes, in our success-oriented society, we admit that we have failed, are failing, and always will fail. Bill A. was our neighbor when we first moved to Pottstown, a retired AP reporter and editor who'd been all over the world. He was cynical, opinionated, and argumentative, and he seemed to have a beef with almost every other neighbor around us, except for some reason us. To us, he was wonderful. I think it's because he took a shine to our three daughters. I remember he once ranted about the church and said he would never join a church because it was filled with hypocrites. About the only time I heard Bill rendered speechless was when I said in response, well, don't worry, Bill, there's always room for one more. (laughs) The love of God as revealed in Jesus Christ is always bigger than we imagine or expect or even hope for. Too often the church can show a love that is too small, too parochial, too restricted, too empty of grace. But then at the other times, the church and Christians can live with a large love that points the world beyond what the world expects to the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Robert Coles is now 93. He's had an unbelievable career. He's a world-renowned child child psychiatrist, a pioneer, a teacher, a student of children in crisis, a Pulitzer-winning author. His career and his faith were forever changed by an encounter with a six-year-old girl early in his career. Her name was Ruby Bridges. In an interview you can see from many years ago, still see on YouTube, Coles talks about meeting Ruby. The year was 1960. The place was New Orleans. By a federal court order, Ruby was permitted, she was African-American, was permitted to attend an all-white school. When the school opened in September, she was the only student and her teacher was the only teacher in the building because all the white parents were boycotting the schools. But that's not all they were doing. Each day she would walk into that school building through two lines of about 200 adults, all white, all shouting at her. You can hear it on the video, using the N-word and saying that they hoped that she would die She was accompanied by federal marshals to get in there. She was a first grader. Coles saw the TV footage of her first day going into the school, and as one studying children going through crises, he said to himself, I would like to know that child. I would like to know what's happening to her. I would like to help her and her families. And so he volunteered as a child psychiatrist to meet with Ruby so he could support her and the parents. 
The parents, by the way, were not very well educated themselves. They were poor, but they were churchgoers, and they wanted their daughter to have as good an education as any other child. Coles met regularly with Ruby for months. He recalls, I waited and waited to see symptoms of distress from experience what he called that living hell. Ruby did not show any. She remained stoic and strong. Six years old, she kept going into that school, kept meeting with her teacher, kept learning. One day, Rudy's teacher, who had come to know Coles, told Coles at the end of the day, you know, I was looking out the window today, and I saw as Ruby was walking in, she was sort of saying something to herself under her breath. And so Coles followed up. He asked her later that day, who were you talking to? Ruby told him, I wasn't talking to the people, I was talking to God. Coles then asked her, well, what do you say to God? I was praying for the people, she responded. You were praying for them? Why? An incredulous Coles remembers asking. Her eyes grew wide, Coles remembers, and Ruby said, don't you think they need praying for? Then Coles asked Ruby what she said in her prayer. Ruby told him, I always pray the same prayer. What is that, Ruby, he asked. Forgive them, God, for they don't know what they are doing. We know who first said those words, and we know where Ruby heard them. Friends, the witness of the church in history is mixed. Sometimes, like those adults living, lining Ruby's walk into the school, Christians have done harm, living small lives, reflecting their selfishness and prejudices, small lives that obscure the light of Christ. But sometimes the church has gotten it right. Despite all of its imperfections, helping its members live generous and expansive lives, through which the amazing grace and awesome love of Jesus Christ shines through like the sun in a perfectly clean glass window. But ultimately, ultimately our faith lies not in the church, not in Christians. How can we have faith when Christians have done so much wrong in the world? Because our Faith lies in Jesus Christ, and there's nothing wrong with him. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll join us for worship on Sunday morning. For more information about our congregation and our ministries, please contact the church office. Now go in peace.